Proverbs chapter 30, starting with verse 15. The leech, everyone say leech. The leech has two daughters. This is Proverbs chapter 30, the first to last chapter. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. 30th, by the way, if you're interested, uh, the book of Proverbs is a unique book in the Bible in this sense that the book of, uh, there are other books in the Bible that cover longer periods of history. Um, Genesis being one of them. They cover longer periods of history. But no book in the Bible was written in its composition over a longer period of time. It was composed over a 200 to 250 year period of time. How do we know that? Because there's some of the Proverbs of Solomon were written down by the, by the men of Hezekiah. So if the other ones were written during the kind of the time of Solomon or shortly thereafter, we know Hezekiah came about 200, 250 years after that. So it is the longest in terms of its composition. Isn't that interesting? That's kind of a fascinating thing. Um, and so uh, Proverbs chapter 30, starting with verse 15. The leech has two daughters, give and give. Everyone say give, give. Sometimes that sounds uh, like Sunday morning when they're asking for offerings. Uh, there are three things that will never be satisfied. Four that will never say enough. Sheol or hell and the barren womb. Earth that is never satisfied with water and fire that never says enough. Everyone shout amen. Now, first off, it says the leech says give, give. Now, this is really important. Why? Because it speaks to our nature. You know what's wrong with us? You know, people always say, well, you know, you need to repent because you lie. Or you need to repent because you do this. The sins you do are the fruit of the real root of why you need to repent. The reason you need to repent is related to the leech. The leech says give, give. What does a leech do? A leech sucks on you. Some of us have had those kinds of friends in our lives. Can I get an amen? <laughs> You've had those people in your life that are just there. They're kind of like a black hole in space. They just suck in all the light out of you and they don't give anything back in return. Am I right? Yes or no? You know, they, they are EGRs, or like we like to say, extra grace required. <laughs> the fact is, is that there are people that come into your life that are just trying to suck you dry of everything and the life force of God. And you know, that is really important that you identify those kind of people and that you make sure you run in the opposite direction. You know what? I, I tell you what, I get to say this because I'm older than y'all. But can I tell you something? I, I, I've seen it too much in ministry. I've seen people really burn themselves out ministering to people that are functional leeches. People that never want to actually get any better in their lives. They just suck life. You're like, that's horrible. Yeah, but I'm the evangelist, so I get to leech. Hear this, <laughs> right? I am not horrible. I'm going to speak truth to, to you. This is a reason we need to repent, because we put a Jesus veneer on something that never happens. The reason we need to repent is because we have, you know, if can I give you the three reasons why everybody needs to repent? Come on, encourage me, right? Three reasons, top three, counting three, two, one, to the top being one, all right? The number three reason, because you violated a command of God. You're like, I thought that was number one. No, it's not. It's number three. The number three reason you need to repent is because you violated a commandment of God. You broke one of his commandments. You lied. You cheated. You stole. You had another God besides the one true and only God. I mean, violations not only of the Ten Commandments, but the very heart of what God's all about. The Bible says, do not commit adultery. Jesus upped the ante in the New Testament when he said, if you even look on someone to lust after them, you violated that commandment. I mean, this is intense. Is this intense? But that's only the number three reason you need to repent. The number two reason you need to repent, you want to know that one? Right? Number two reason you need to repent is because you've broken your Father God in heaven's heart by your sin. You know, I don't know about you, but when I, when I was young, <laughs> so long ago, when I was young, Sometimes when I did something wrong, I would rather take a spanking 
from my parents than from looking at my mom or dad, looking at me with a tear coming down their face, knowing I had disappointed them because I failed our family horribly. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? When your mom would look at you and silently her little lower lip would begin to tremble and a tear would come down her face and you're like, don't give me that look. Here, here's a piece of wood. Here's a, here's a spoon that I heated in the oven. Please, heat me with that. Beat me with it. I don't care, but don't look at me like that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes or no? Right? I mean, you know what? When we sin and we live our own life, we are breaking our Father God in heaven's heart. He, he had better expectations for you than, than what you've been doing with your life. He gave you life, not so you would live it the way you've been living it. He gave you life because, man, he thinks you could do awesome things if you just yield to him. You know, we think, you know, I tell people, it's easy to kill somebody, harder to raise the dead, but raising the dead's a lot more fun. And some of you are looking at me like, well, yeah, like you've ever raised the dead. We have. We've seen it happen. Africa. We planted a church. They brought a, de- a kid who had been dead. For an hour, they brought a kid to us. He'd been dead for an hour. He'd been dead. And after praying for an hour in tongues over him, I'll tell you what, when he opened his eyes and looked at the African pastor that was holding him and said to him, can you put me down and started praising Jesus running all over the place? Can I tell you, you never saw 26 people who were the whole village that came with him get saved fast enough. I mean, I have never seen people get saved that fast. They dropped to their knees and they all started crying out to Jesus. You know what, guys? I am telling you, God says, you know, it's easy to commit sin. It's harder to stay holy, but holiness is a lot more fun because it yields power. Submission yields power. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and it's cleanse lepers, L-E-P-E-R-S, not cleanse a leopard, because if you cleanse a leopard, you'd end up with a puma. I saw that on Animal Planet. But anyway, so, all right, the fact is, you know, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers. I messed up. Just deal with it. Hear that. Some of you are thinking, I can't believe this guy's a minister. I'm not, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Ha, 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 sorry. Hear this. The, friends, I want to tell you something. Our God does amazing miracles. Somebody shout amen. amen. But when we operate below our design purpose, you were designed to be holy, not to be impure. When you operate below your design purpose, your father in heaven, he, he would love to have friends who cried. You're breaking his heart through your rebelliousness. And he's stretching out his hand to you all day long. And you've been disobedient and rebellious all day long. He's stretching out his hand to you. And he's saying, please, come back. Come home. I love you. Come home. I got better for you than this. I designed you for something better. Not use your hands in violence, but to use your hands to lay hands on people and see peace and joy and victory and health come. Amen. That's what he designed you for. But that's the number two reason. You want to get the number one reason you need to repent? Because releases. Because why? Because we live supremely for ourselves. That is the number one reason we need to repent. Now, listen, this is significant. I'm telling you, this is super significant. Why? Because we even created church in America to indulge the number one reason we need to repent rather than deliverance. Think about how many people want to show up and they say, hey, die. Come, come to me. We're going to deal with the cross. Come die to yourself and live for God and surrender everything. Nobody will show up for me. Hey, come and an angel will show up at your house and bless you. Oh, man, I'm there. Come and get your healing. Come get your miracle. Those meetings, full. Come and know more about Jesus. Forget that. I already heard about him. Give me something for me. What you going to do for me? Listen to me. I'm telling you something. The church in America has become really an expert in indulging people's flesh. And in that sense, we're trying to build up the heart that God is trying to kill off. The leech says, give. give. People want, give me something. Give me. I want to get something out of this. 
Well, how about surrendering everything in your life? What am I going to get in return? Maybe nothing in this life. But in life to come, a hundred times everything you surrender. Oh, I don't need it there. I want it here. I mean, come on, deal with my problems here. See, I'm really messed up because, see, I spent a lot of time out of the country. Uh, Pastor Brian had asked me, and I was one week short of spending four months overseas this last year, 2016, doing various places. And the places I go are no place anybody likes vacations except for Europe, right? I did a couple trips in Europe, but the rest of the stuff is Africa, Asia, Southeast Asia, and all those places. And I'm, I'm traveling in places where people have lost everything, and many times they have their families butchered in front of them. Uh, because Muslim forces like said, oh, you came to Christ? Now, you know, either deny him or you die. Or you watch your family die in front of you. You know, I have to deal with this kind of stuff. And you know what? These people worship God more joyfully than even we did here tonight. And we had a great time worshiping God. But they worship God joyfully, and they don't have anything to rejoice about from a, from a physical perspective. Because in the backs of their churches are the shallow graves of where they bury their kids. And yet they're rejoicing in the Lord. You know, this kind of messes with you. And you kind of realize, you know what's really important when you have Jesus? You know, people sometimes ask me, why do the same miracles not happen in America that happen overseas? And I say, well, you have to hang with me because they're happening to my neighbors. We've led 90 of our neighbors to Christ. So, I mean, they're experiencing miracles because we pray for them. God answers prayer. They get saved. It's awesome. I'm not lying. 90, 90 of our neighbors. 83 of them got baptized in the Holy Spirit, praying in other tongues in our house. We baptize people regularly in our bathtub. I want to get a jetted bathtub so that kids, you know, that kids would be kind of cool. Hear this. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God is doing amazing things all over the world, but you've got to learn to not live for yourself. And by the way, Jesus does not revolve around what your needs are. He, he should be the one your life revolves around. The number one reason. That's why he starts this whole text. He says, the leech says, give, give. He's talking to our nature. Our nature is always wanting to take, 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 take. The leech is, it's not giving that it's talking about. It's like, give to me, give to me, give to me. That's what it's saying. You know, give, give, give. We're, we, you have an insatiable appetite. Your sinful nature will never be satisfied until it fills itself. For anybody who's ever involved with pornography knows it just keeps up in the ante. You just keep getting more and more lustful things and kinky stuff and all the rest of the stuff until eventually you destroy everything in your life. You know, think about gambling and all the rest of this stuff. You know, people go to Vegas and they're like, well, I just go there, I just see the shows and I just eat and all the rest. You know what, I want to challenge you next time you go to Vegas to go looking in the culverts. There is an entire community that lives under the streets of Las Vegas. There are these huge culverts where whenever it rains, the rain kind of goes through. And there are people living who are homeless there. There are people down there who used to be the heads of companies, who used to have great jobs, who used to have families, who got all addicted to this stuff because uh, Vegas was saying, oh, you know, come indulge yourself. It's give, give, give. It, it literally caters to the leech nature in humanity. And I want to tell you something. You look at the destroyed lives that are underneath this. Pastor Brian's brother used to preach and uh, used to have a pastor in St. George, Utah. There in St. George, Utah, in that area over there, it's very close. You could drive to, to, to Vegas in a very short period of time. There were so many families that were destroyed there that gambling had destroyed. People who had great jobs who made a bank, man. They made major bank, and they lost everything because of that nature. And it's because of that nature that we get these warnings, and it says... There are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. So it all flows from this. Remember that nature is always wanting, 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 wanting. So then it says there, the, your sin nature is never satisfied. It never says enough. And God says there's a couple other things that never say enough. You want to learn what those things are? Come on, let's talk about it, right? So the first thing here is Sheol or hell. Everyone say hell. 
the only time you could say that and not feel like you're swearing in church. Hell, hell never says enough. Sheol never says enough. You know, I think a lot of people think that hell is just waiting around. The devil's sitting somewhere down in the underground where it's all hot and worse than Phoenix, Arizona is in July. And he's, he's waiting there and he's like sitting on a throne. It's like, man, when people come here, man, man, we get to torment them. You know what? God wants you to know hell is never satisfied. It's so not satisfied. It's out to get you. Hell is out to hatch, plots and get you. It's like a spider weaving a web. The devil knows. You know what? What does the devil do? According to the Bible, what does he do? Somebody said it. Kill, kill, and destroy. Isn't that amazing? Everybody knows what the devil does. He does three things. He's been doing it because he's a lot older than you think. He is super old. He's, he's got it down to an art science. There are three things he does. Steal, kill, and destroy. What's a Christian supposed to do? You know what's really bizarre? I started asking people, what do you think a Christian's supposed to do? And people are confused as to what we're supposed to do. You know, I mean, it's like it's, you almost need a master's degree and a huge book that's this thick to figure out what a Christian's supposed to do. And you know what? The bottom line is we're supposed to love God unabashedly. Be bananas for Jesus. Amen? That's what we're supposed to be. Absolutely nutcases for Jesus. But we've complicated the walk with God. Oh, you do this, you do this, you attend church, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's so complicated. Everybody's complicated. You know, it's actually rather simple. But hell, the devil's out to steal, kill, and destroy. There are three. I mean, you know what? Hell's not waiting around. The devil hatches plots. He knows you. He knows humanity. He knows human nature. He's watched this whole process. He watched mankind be made. He was kicked out of heaven. He was cast down to the earth. He conned Adam and Eve, and he's been using the same con for years. And he's been conning humanity, man. He's not, you know what, I'll tell you what, my, my, one of my favorite books in the Bible, it's not my favorite in the Old Testament, is the book of Judges. And I'll tell you why. If it wasn't for one story, it would be my favorite book in the Old Testament. My favorite book in the Old Testament is the book of Job. I love it. But, but my second favorite book, and it would be my favorite book, is the book of Judges. But I can't, I can't stand one story. And if it wasn't for that one story, I mean, I would love the book of Judges. But there's this one story. And you know what story it is? You want me to tell you what story? Come on, encourage me. You know, that one story is the book, is the story of Samson. I can't stand, I'm like happily reading, oh, judges, I love it. I'm flipping through my Bible. Oh, man, it's incredible. I'm reading through, I'm re and then I get to the story of Samson and Delilah, and I'm like, oh! You know why? Because Delilah makes such a fool out of Samson. I mean, man, I'm screaming in my Bible. Every time I'm looking at it, I mean, she totally, I'm like, Samson, don't do it, man. She's no good for you. <sighs> It's like the people who watch the novellas. You know, you're screaming at your body. You know, you're screaming going, no, not that one. She's going to mess with you. She's fooling around with Ricky anyway. <laughs> Man, I'm yelling, at my, I'm yelling at my Bible. And I'm going, don't do it. And I flip the page. Ow, he fell again. Of course, it doesn't change as the Bible. But, I mean. I'm screaming, man. Why? Because you remember when she shows up in his life, right? When she shows up in his life, you know, uh, Delilah shows up. She looks at Samson, and, you know, she's out to get him. So she's like, oh, I could just see it. Oh, Samson, you're such a man. And he's like, oh, mama. You know, remember Samson, tall, long hair, <laughs> long hair like our worship leader. But anyway, long hair, long hair, six foot three. There you are, bro. <laughs> six foot three, three percent body fat. I hate him. <laughs> He looks like that guy in the cover of the romance novels. What's that guy's name? Um, but how do you know that? <laughs> oh, man, you used to have long hair. So you wanted to look like Fabio, right? My wife tells me I look just like Fabio from a distance of 10 miles. <laughs> so funny. So 
I mean, so, so here's Samson, man, right? He's got 3% body fat, man. He's like ripped. He's like, but you know, really high on the brawn and really low on the brain power. Are you feeling me, right? Because he had a problem with the ladies, right? And so, so Delilah comes on to him and is like, oh, Samson, you're such a man. Uh-huh. And he's like, hey, mama. So they go out, have some drinks, and end up at his place, and they do noogie-noogie, which you're not supposed to do apart from being married. Come on, amen. So they noogie-noogie, and they mix, the next morning they wake up smoking cigarettes. I have no idea why I just said cigarettes. I have no idea. But, but they wake up in the morning, they're smoking some cigarettes, and, and she looks at him and she goes, oh, Samson, read your Bible. The, the, some of the, my embellishments are not in there, but this part is. <laughs> read your Bible, because the story is in there. And she looks at him and she goes, oh, Samson. What must I do to bind you and afflict you? Look, I don't know how you date, okay? <laughs> All right? All right, but when I looked at my wife, Carol, and I said, do you want to go out with me? I didn't look at her and say, uh, what can I do to come into your life and completely destroy it? But she was up front and told him that. And he started laughing. He's like, <laughs> well, if you're like, you know, but, you know, if you tie me up with a bunch of vine, I'll be like any other man. First off, that's kind of weird, but the next morning, what really gets weirding you out, if you look at this, because she asked him, she goes, what must I do to bind you and afflict you? She says that. She's up front, and she says that to him, and he's playing with it because he doesn't take her seriously. So he says, well, just tie me up with a bunch of vines, and I'll be like any other man. Next morning, in your Bible, next morning, he wakes up tied up with a bunch of vines. What are the odds? Just be honestly, what are the odds? I mean, I don't care how long it's been since you washed. How long do you think it would take vine to grow on your body? Right? What are the odds that vine just grows on your body overnight? Come on. A chia pet even takes a couple of days, three or four days. Am I right? I love chia pets, by the way. All right, hear this. All right. Right. He wakes up and she says, Samson. The Philistines are upon you. And I mean, he breaks up the vine because Philistines come out of his closet. What are the odds that Philistines grow in your closet overnight? Right? The Philistines come running out of their closet. He beats them up and sends them off. And then she looks at him and she says, oh, Samson, you lied to me. He lied to her. Who's lying to who here? She then asks him another day later. She says, what must I do to bind you and afflict you? Tie me up with rope. Next morning, he's tied up with rope. He's not getting this. She's out to hurt him. So you know what you learn in that story of Samson and Delilah? And it's humiliating, especially if you're a guy. It's humiliating that, you know, when you're walking in sin, you become completely blind to what's right in front of your face. Not, not that anybody here has ever experienced this. Not that here anybody's ever done this, where, where somebody warns you. No, I'm probably the only person in this room where somebody warns you and they warn you and they warn you about something, and you go off and do it anyway, and exactly what they said would happen happens, and then you look at people and are like, why didn't anybody tell me? I'm sure I'm the only person who's ever been that dorky. Has anybody else been dorky like me, or is it just me? How many people? Thank you for making me feel better. Thanks. But hear this, I mean, that just happens. And how many times in ministry, that's what makes us as ministers really mad. When we're warning people, saying, don't do this, don't, look, the Bible says don't do this, and we're warning them, and people do it anyway, and we'd like to get the spirit of slap all over us and go, <laughs> but we don't. <laughs> because we're ministers, and we're cool. 
and we don't want to get arrested. <laughs> right? Hear that, friends, okay? The point is, you know I'm speaking the truth, and I can't stand this story. Hell was out to get him, and what ends up happening? What ends up happening? He says, well, if you just tie my hair up in a bun, he's getting closer, and then eventually, just shave my head. I'll be like any other guy. And he woke up one morning, and his head was completely shaved. And the Bible says this. He, when she said the Philistines, every time he, she shouted, the Philistines are there, and they come out of the closet, she beat them up. And this time he goes, I'm just going to go out like I did every other time. Because you know what? You think to yourself, I did keep on sinning, but somehow God's still with me. So you know what? I could keep sinning, do whatever I want. God's still here. I'm still going to have the strength. And he goes out and he found out that that is not true. You know, you could choose your sins, but you can't choose your consequences. And you know, God's grace is great. But God values you more than what you could ever do for him. And you may be getting away with stuff in your life for a little period of time and maybe compromising in your life and nobody knows about it. But I want to tell you something. You are not going to get away with it for much longer. And you know what? God is merciful. He loves you and he's incredible. And he wants you out of this thing because he sees where this is going. And so Samson goes out. You know what? The scariest verse in the entire Bible, the Bible says, read it. It's in Judges. It's in your Bible. It says in the book of Judges, he didn't even know that God was no longer with him. The scariest day in your life is when you don't even know God left a long time ago. You know what? I'll tell you what. I could say this. You can't. I can say this. You can't. I can't. Because I travel as much as I do. I get a perspective because I travel a lot of churches. Can I tell you something? I go to churches that haven't realized that God left a long time ago. I go walking in. There's no presence of God whatsoever. There's a lot of people, but there's no God. Nobody ever asks, why are people? People are joining the Jesus Club but they're not getting delivered. They're not walking free. They're not set free. They don't see miracles. They don't see any of this stuff, but they're like, hey, people are here. Who cares? Money's good. Who cares? Offerings are good. Who, who gives a rip? We go on mission trips. You know what kind of mission trips they go on? They go visit orphanages. Nothing wrong with going to visit an orphanage. They'll hold kids. Nothing wrong with holding kids, but that's their mission trip. Nobody gets saved. Nobody gets filled. Nobody gets healed. Nobody gets delivered. You know, we, di we disciple people. Uh, maybe one of these nights I'll explain to you what we do. But we disciple people. And I say, because I have a heart for 20 and 30-year-olds. For some reason, for some reason, I don't know why. God has given us great favor with 20 and 30-year-olds. You know, we fill our house with 20 and 30-year-olds. And they come and they get discipled. It's a two-and-a-half-year process that's worse than boot camp is in the Marines. We push them. We make them. We go through the whole Bible. We study the Bible. We study a book of the Bible. We're going through Proverbs right now. Can I tell you something? And we do it in two weeks. We do a book either in one week or in two weeks. That's it. They have to go through the whole thing, answer questions, do all the rest of the stuff. I mean, we push them. But I look at these 20 and 30-year-olds, and I say, I promise you this. Number one, I'm never going to challenge you to do anything that hasn't been a regular part of my life for at least three years. I will never ask you to do anything I myself won't do or haven't done on a regular basis. Because I think that's wrong. You, I should never preach to you and challenge you to do something that's not part of my life. I will never do that. And I promise you, if you stick with this, Jesus will change, change you and transform you. And I promise you, because they're required. We did a church play. The, uh, my thing in Africa I just did, we told them, you come with me. We're, you are required to go overseas, and we're going to plant a church somewhere in the world. We're going to plant a church. And when we plant that church, five or ten years later, that church is still going to be there. It's still going to be there. It's going to be growing. It's going to be doing great. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to make sure of that. And I promise you, you stick around with me. You will see God do signs, wonders, and miracles, and not by you watching me preach. You're going to get up and preach, and you're going to pray for people, and God is going to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, and all stuff through you. You're going to do these things. And after 32 years of ministry, I've kept my promise every time because God keeps his. It's not like it's me. It's God keeps his. 
I'm telling you, if you go over and you honor God and you submit yourself to the word of God, you'll see these things happen. But if you keep playing with sin, I promise you, God will leave and you won't even be aware of it. But some people are more comfortable in the presence of people than they are in the presence of God. Listen to me. Because if a leech says give, give, God is opposed to people that are selfish. God is the most unselfish creature that ever existed. Because he should have wiped us all out. Every day we ought to thank God. You know what? It's easy to worship God. For me, because I keep thinking to myself, you know, I'm going to thank God that I didn't get today what I actually really deserve. Because I don't deserve heaven. I deserve hell. I don't deserve to be so blessed that I get to fellowship with you guys. I mean, I'm jumping and dancing, you know, shaking my booty with the guys up here. And I'm sitting there going, God, I don't deserve this. This is awesome to just be able to jump and dance and worship you. And, and I'm an old dude. And the doctors told me four and a half years ago, five years ago, I wasn't going to live another year. Not on medical care today, but it seems like I'm doing pretty good, don't you think? <laughs> There's nothing they could do for me. And I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm going to live and worship Jesus until God says my time is done. And he's seen fit to keep me alive for 40 days. And I want to tell you something. I'm happy. You know, I'm so thankful for Jesus. I am so thankful for him. Live for myself? I don't think so. I want to live for him. I mean, to me, it seems a lot more enjoyable. You know, I mean, I've done a couple of things here in the last year that, that when I did them, some of the people who know me well said, that was like probably risking your life on the border of being stupid. I said, yeah, but it did result in people getting saved. You know, I would rather die in trying to share Jesus with people than live and sit in a pew and be in some place that God's no longer there. But hell's out to get you. Hell's out to get you, and it wants you to think that you could play with the things of God and play with sin and still be okay, that God's grace overlooks everything that you're doing. God's grace teaches you to hate sin and gives you the power to overcome it. It destroys the leech nature. It destroys it. Hell's out to get you. And Samson thought, I could just play with this as much as I want. I'm just keep playing. I'm just keep playing. I'm just keep playing. And one day, he went out to defeat all of his enemies, and God wasn't there. He didn't even know it, and he failed miserably. And they took him, and they blinded his eyes. And the Bible says, if you read the story of Samson, the Bible says, while he was grinding the millstone and hearing everybody mocking his God, because when we sin, it's not just them making fun of us. They're mocking the one true and only God. Breaks your father's heart. Number two reason we need to repent. He's grinding and just grinding, walking around the stone, man, grinding. And as he thought about it, I think God broke him and humbled him. And the Bible says his hair began to grow because it's kind of funny how when you get back to God, God restores you. The Bible says one of the most powerful verses in Samson about the life of Samson, the scary one, God left him. He didn't even know his presence was gone. The powerful one, in his death, he killed more and did more victoriously for God than he was alive. That's a powerful verse for all of us. The more we're dead to the leech nature, the more we can do for God. Oh, that preaches. Somebody shout amen. Amen. That's just good preaching right there. Now, hear me. But that's not the only thing it says. There's also another thing. Everyone say the barren womb. Three things that are never satisfied. Four that never say enough. The barren womb. You know what? This is kind of a freaky thing to talk about, especially when, if there are guys in the room. But you know what? A woman's womb was meant to have babies. And a woman has this innate desire inside of her for children. And when she gets older, to have grandchildren. <laughs> Did I tell you something? There is a drive for life that exists. And I want to tell you something. This is important. 
A woman that cannot have children, that wants to have children, is one of the most conflicted people that lives on the earth. We've dealt with it. My wife has a special anointing to pray for women that can't get pregnant and get pregnant, and they get pregnant. She once, my wife, Carol, who's, who's a dentist, by the way, my wife's a dentist. Everybody shout, amen. <laughs> she's a dentist. I just thought I'd say that because people were like, oh, I hate the dentist. I mean, my, and by the way, when I proposed to her and she looked at me, she's an American. I mean, she looked at me and she goes, I mean, ni por atos. You know, I can barely say that I'm gonna, if, if I marry you and I want to marry you, but that's a hard name to say. She goes, I'm going to have that for the rest of my life. I said, yeah, babe, but you got to marry me because you can't be a dentist with your maiden name because she's got a British background. You know what her maiden name is? Her maiden name was Payne, P-A-Y-N-E. Come on, you go into a dentist that's named Payne? Dr. Payne, please come to the dental chair. I mean, come on, you're running out the front door. Amen? Her favorite hymn is crowning with many crowns. I mean, you know, amen. Hear that. (laughs) Y'all got to tell that to your dentist. Next time you see your dentist, I know what hymn you sing, crowning with many crowns. Hear this, right? That's the dentist hymn. Hear this, right? So my wife, Carol, my wife, Carol, was witnessing to a person that she was uh, in, in a dental thing with when she was first in the dentistry. She was witnessing her. She was an assistant that she had who was from uh, Yugoslavia. Her Yugoslavian husband, who came from the old country, and they married her, and they were living in Chicago in the United States. Her Yugoslavian husband and her had been married for four years, and he wanted to have babies, and they couldn't have babies. They went to the doctor finally, and, she, and the doctor said, you're never going to have kids. And he looked at her and he said, if you can't have kids, I'm divorcing you. I didn't marry you, so you can't have kids. I'm going to have kids, and so I'm going to divorce you. So he had filed for divorce against her. She was brokenhearted, and her husband had just told her this, and she said, Vesna, her name was Vesna. She goes, Vesna, I'm going to pray for you. I told you about Jesus. I'm going to pray for you, and this is what's going to happen. I'm going to lay my hands on you. You're going to get pregnant. Tell your husband not to leave you, that God is going to hear my prayers for you. You're going to get pregnant. You're going to get pregnant with a son. You're going to name him. I can't remember the name. That, I think it was Daniel. You're going to name him Daniel. And you know what? When you have a son, when they tell you you're having a son, you're going to carry him to full term. When he's born, you're going to name him Daniel, and both you and your husband are coming to Christ. My wife's nuts. My wife is a faith maniac. You know that's true because she married me of her own free will. Somebody shout amen. My wife looked at her and said, listen to me. I'm telling you this right now. You're going to get pregnant and do this. Guess what? Vesna went and told her husband, this woman prayed for me, and she prayed in a funny-sounding language that I felt the presence of God. Tongues. Amen. She prayed over me in this supernatural language, and she says, we're going to have a child. Well, they went and did noogie-noogie because they're married. Amen. They weren't divorced yet. They're married. They, they had noogie-noogie. Guess what? She got pregnant. Guess what? She gave birth to a beautiful boy named Daniel because they named him Daniel. Guess what? They got saved. But you know what's never satisfied? A womb that never has life. You're like, well, how does that apply to me? Especially, I'm a man. How does that apply to me? Oh, it applies to you. It applies to everybody in this place in a way that you don't think. You know what, spiritually speaking? You have a spiritual womb. The minute you're born again, you're designed by God to beget life. We're not here to receive. You think your goal in life is to sit in a pew? That's pew. Amen? Your role in life is to beget life. 
This is true about individuals and churches. We are we have a collective spiritual womb in the two churches that are representative here. And you know what? Can I tell you something? God wants you to beget life. Somebody shout amen. amen. You know why you get dissatisfied with church eventually? If you're not winning souls, how are you going to get happy? Life comes. You know what? I've never seen anybody sad in a maternity ward when children are being born. They're not sad. There's nothing but rejoicing. I mean, maybe the woman going through labor is not ha so happy at the moment. But can I tell you something? After she gives birth, uh-huh. I know that's true because women are crazy. I mean, women sit there and talk amongst themselves about things that make me queasy. Oh, man, I was going through labor. I went through 32 hours of labor. I popped a blood vessel. Oh, They're talking about stuff, and I'm like, I I'm trying to eat here. <laughs> Hello? Right? Just makes you nauseous. I mean, you're like, and you know, come on, you don't know. You know you do that. You know you record all this stuff because when your kids misbehave, do you know what I went through to give birth to you? I popped blood vessels. I was spewing blood. I can't even believe I'm saying this. I'm making myself nauseous. Hear this. I'm telling you what. The pain of what it takes to give birth is over shortly after children are then brought into this world. Can somebody shout amen? But you know what? The same thing is true in heaven, and not just in heaven, but in every church. Churches that go for souls are churches that are always happy, and there's less problems when you're gunning for winning others. But you know what? When you're not winning souls, and it's all about people receiving and being selfish, and that Luke's nature is kicking in, and it's not about giving birth to others, but people receiving blessings. Can I tell you something? That's when the problems occur. Because everybody's acting selfish. They're just spiritualizing their selfishness. Listen, can I tell you something? A little insight. Can I? When you travel like I do, I see this. You'll see churches that see God do amazing things. And you'll see people in power dance and miracles are happening. And pretty soon the word gets out and people are coming visiting them. And pretty soon what God gets doing gets hijacked by selfish Christians who are trying to experience the next spiritual blessing. And get a church or a movement off of what God wanted them to be doing, which is reaching people in power dance. Can I tell you something? You get full of the Holy Spirit. You unleash this power of the Holy Spirit with your workplaces and amongst your neighbors and your business. You go gunning for souls. And I'll tell you, God will move heaven and earth. He'll bless you. He'll bless you with finances. He'll bless you. He will do things that you've been wanting for him to do in your life for a long time. If you stop asking him to do those things in your life and start asking him to do that stuff in somebody else's life. Can I tell you, he will move heaven and earth for unsafe people to get saved. I say this to people all the time. Nobody ever wants to come back to America on a mission trip that I'm on. And I'm saying, you know why you get blessed on a mission trip? I love doing this discipleship course because I do this with the churches and others that come over from Europe. And I look at them and I go, you know why you're, you're so blessed and you're, you're so excited and you know why you don't want to go back to America? Why? Because for the two weeks you were living with me overseas, can I tell you something? You were acting the way God expects you to act every day of your Christian life in America. But you don't when you're in America because you're so comfortable with your surroundings. You know you don't need to rely on God. See, when you go overseas somewhere where you don't know if what you're going to eat is going to kill you or not, you pray over your food in a different way. When you're walking out and we send you out and you're out knocking on doors thinking, what on earth am I going to say to people? I don't know the culture. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know all the rest. So you've got to rely on God and you pray with a different passion than you pray when you know your neighbors and known them for years in America. Are you hearing me? 
you know what? You rely on God when you can't have a frame of reference that relates to anything in the culture you're raised in. And you are in another culture where you have no frame of reference to identify with. It causes you to be dependent on God the way you have to fight to be dependent every day here in America. But in America, it's so easy to be selfish and the leech nature. And so we receive, but we never give birth to life. And therefore, we get selfish. Am I making sense to anybody here? Oh, this is some good preaching. I'm usually stupid, but this is pretty good. Hear this. Listen to me, everyone. That wasn't the only thing he said, was it? He says earth, or literally ground. Ground is never satisfied with water. Everyone say water. Say it again. One more time. Because three sounds better when you say it three times. Hear this, right? Earth is never satisfied. So we have hell is never satisfied. It's not to get you. Think of Samson. Um, the barren womb is never satisfied unless it gives life. So think about the fact that we're supposed to win souls and not selfishly always ask for blessing. And the third thing is ground, earth, is never satisfied with water. Now, you know what, guys? Uh, you guys were going through a drought, weren't you? Right? How many of you are tired of it being cloudy and raining every day? Do you guys like the fact that it's raining? How would you like to be where, where Pastor and Sister Pastor are from, from, from Church of the Cross, be in Oregon, where they call them ducks because they grow into ducks? <laughs> How would you like to have two or three weeks of this kind of weather? How many of you would like that? Some of you, yeah, because that's where you're from. <laughs> Poser. <laughs> All right. You know, how many of you would like to see the sun pretty soon and have a nice sunny day? How would you like to have all the water problems solved without having to have a cloudy, rainy week? Amen. Some years ago, when I was living in uh, Chicago, in Illinois, we had gone through a horrific drought, kind of like what you guys were going through. And it farms, I mean, it was horrible. Farms were just doing bad, just like in the Central Valley. And except we don't have the issues of people saying, you can't use water to water it because there's some little bug that lives in the ground that we've got to save. So you guys die of starvation while that little bug that nobody knows about is going to die anyway. But anyway, so hear this. So you guys are, I don't know what this is like here. Politics in California is weird. But um, hear, hear me when I say this. Okay. So we are going through the same stuff in Illinois. And so there was a major drought. Farms were closing down. We were going through it for a very long period of time. Well, then we had some weather that came in, kind of like you guys have had this weather come in. And I mean, we were getting gully washers all day long for like a solid two weeks. Well, unfortunately, because if you haven't figured this out about me, I mean, I like rarely think before I talk. And so I, I, my wife and I, Carol and I, uh, we had, uh, were scheduled to speak in a farming area. So after two weeks, when you live in Chicago, it's an inner city area and you're living in these small apartments with millions of other people. I mean, when you don't have, when you don't have sunshine and you're locked in and it's gully washers every single day for a couple of weeks, the crime rate goes up because people are going nuts. You know what I mean? You're just like, I want to see the sun. And when it just so happened, the sun came out on the Saturday we were driving down to central Illinois to speak in this farming community at this really cool church. So we went to this cool church, and it's a beautiful day. I mean, I think everybody, I think it would have been a great day to be a thief because you're going to rob people's places because nobody was going back to their home. They've been shut inside for all this because of all this rain. So, so we're driving, and I'm like, oh, it's a beautiful day to be in the city, but we got to go to central Illinois. So we go down to this area that's a farming area where there's all these farms and all the rest. And Carol and I, you know, get to the place. We meet the pastor. We have a little meal, and we go there, and we're, like, ironing our clothes because, you know, you're supposed it, without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. And so um, we're ironing our clothes. And so we're getting ready, and we, we, we turn on 
the, the uh, news, the 10 o'clock news, they turn on the 10 o'clock news, they listen to the news, and they do the ag report. That's the agriculture report. So they do the agriculture report. Well, I'm a city guy. I don't know the ag report, so I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And I trusted the guy because the guy looked like he was a farmer because they were interviewing him, and they said it was a farmer, and he was wearing a John Deere cap, so I figured, okay, he's the real thing. So they're talking to him, and it says, how are the crops? Now, mind you, we've had two weeks of gully washers. Animals were lining up two by two. I mean, it was raining for two weeks. And they're interviewing the guy, and they say, so tell us, uh, how's the crops? He goes, they're doing bad. Well, what do you think you need? He goes, we need more rain. And I'm like, that ingrate, more rain. Sure, it's been a drought for like a year or something like that. But man, we made up in two weeks everything they could have used for the last five years. He's just an ingrate. I literally said that out loud in the hotel room to my wife. That would have been good if I had left him, like Vegas, in the hotel room. What you see in the hotel room stays in the hotel room. I'm not that smart. So I'm speaking on Sunday morning to a bunch of farmers. And I'm looking at them. And one of the points that I was making was about gratitude and praise. And it lent itself to a tangent to go down this line and bless God, stupid, stupid, stupid. I went that line. <laughs> I stood in front of everybody and said, and by the way, you should be thankful because it was a drought and I needed rain. And I saw this guy says, more rain. You don't need more rain. Be grateful. <laughs> stupid. <laughs> really stupid. <laughs> really dumb. <laughs> said that. Do you know what? Everybody's just listening to me. They were so kind. Preached, got off that stupid tangent, preached the rest of the message. Everybody responded. God jumped out of spirit. Awesome service. Awesome altar call. Awesome stuff that happened. Praise God. But afterwards, a farmer, an older guy, tall and thin and sinewy and face weathered, probably in his 60s, you know, he walked up to me. He said, young man, he put his hand on my shoulder. He said, young man, can I talk to you for a few minutes? Because you shared some stuff with us. And I like to talk to you because it's obviously from the city and we don't know much about farmers. Now, you know, I want to tell you something about farmers. They may be thin, but you don't mess with a farmer because they're strong. I felt it by the pressure he had on my shoulder. He applied a pressure that when he made the comment, can I share a few things with you? I realized no was not an answer I could give. So he picked me up and he put me in the pew. <laughs> I sat there next to him raring for a fight. And for the next hour, one hour, he whittled me down to size. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. He whittled me. I don't know why I did that. But then he whittled me down to size in the most beautiful, humble, kind, loving, surgical rebuke I had ever received in my life. Just there, I was going to break into the song, killing me softly with his words, but... <laughs> I am so not going there, but I do want you to think of the song. <laughs> All right. He killed me by being kind. And he taught this city guy something I didn't know. Now, I'm not going to tell you everything he said because we don't have time, but I will tell you this. Okay? He said, when, he goes, Dean, all this rain that's come down in gully washers for the last two weeks didn't get into the ground. Then where did it go? 
He said, when the ground gets hard, when it doesn't have water, it loses all its moisture and stops. And when it starts raining really, really hard, it hits the surface, and he used a term I had never heard before. What do you call it when the rain hits the top and goes off into rivers and all the rest? What do you call it? Anybody know? Runoff. Somebody said runoff. I can't. I was hoping nobody knew because I feel so dorky even more now. Thank you. Okay. Um, I, I literally never heard the term runoff. How many of you ever heard the term runoff before? Now I feel really even worse. Okay. Thanks so much for that. I feel so like like that big. Okay. But anyway, so he says it's runoff. I said, well, where does it run off to? He goes, it goes into the rivers, and the rivers overflow, and it destroys, but it takes away all the topsoil, and it never gets actually to the deeper part of the ground where it needs to get. He goes, Dean, we don't need a gully washer when there's so much dryness around. What we need, listen to me, is a gentle soaking rain every day. And the Spirit of God came on me when he looked at me and said, the same thing is true about our hearts, Dean. He goes, you know how people come to church and they don't pray and they don't read the word? He goes, we think it's the same thing in people's lives. He goes, wait a minute. I never thought of this stuff. I was just a stupid young preacher thinking I knew everything. And he sits there and he goes, it's what happens in our hearts, Dean. He goes, you know how people come to revival meetings like we're coming to your meeting? He says, the truth is, he goes, you could pray for us and God could dump out his spirit upon us and we need that. He goes, but the truth is, if hard hearts are there, what every person needs every day is a gentle soaking rain. What we need is the prayer life that you talk about. It's having a prayer life. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God gave me Proverbs 13. Ground never taken up. Your heart is never satisfied with what it receives when other people parcel out a lot of rain. We're having meetings, and we call them revival meetings, but isn't the truth, the truth is that you're supposed to be inspired to take this dry heart that you've had for so long and seek God on a daily basis. Why do you think we want to lay hands on you and pray that you get a prayer life in terms of praying in tongues? So that you can use that prayer language every single day. So that every day the seed of the word that's been soaked into you and saturated in it has been put into you. Gets saturated by the presence of God on a daily basis. So it could bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Can somebody shout amen? amen? Your heart doesn't need gully washers. See, that's why you see people experience something powerful in a revival meeting or some church service. They get something powerful. We're excited because we had great worship and all the rest. And that's awesome. It's incredible. Lord, let it always be. But the fact is it'll never change your life. Unless you carry the gentle soaking rain and every day you wake up in the morning. Now, God, here's the word. Lord, I'm just going to read your word. And God, just saturate me. Man, I spend an hour every day with God and I'm saturated so that when somebody speaks a word to me, I could receive it because the ground's prepared for it. It bears fruit in my life now. I get to see God do all these miracles, signs, and wonders. I pray for people and God hears my prayers in real time. I stand up on stages everywhere I go and I say, bring me your sick, your dead, and your demon possessed. You prayed to your gods all your life. Your gods have never answered your prayers. I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, in real time. He's going to hear my prayer, heal your sick, raise your dead, cast out your devils in real time. To prove to you there's no way to get to heaven except through Jesus. And all your gods are false. Man, for all these years, God's heard my prayer. He's heard my prayer. And he's answered it. 
when I brought these people that were presently discipling, I brought them, we were in Uganda, in Wakiso, Uganda, Africa. We stood on the stage, and I, I said, all of you are going to be doing this after me. So I preached the first uh, revival meeting. That terrifies them. They get their prayer life into another gear when I tell them, you're going to be doing it all after this. And I stand up there, and I told every, I gave the altar call. I said that. And people brought up their sick, and they, we didn't have any dead, but they brought up their demon-possessed. I mean, demons were coming out, and sick bodies were getting healed. People who had been carried in were walking out. and I mean, it was awesome. And they're all looking at me going, this happened. Six months before that, I was again in Uganda, another part of Uganda, with a church that invited me to come because they wanted me to disciple their people on the mission trip. A lady who stands, I mean, she was, she's this tall. She's in her 50s. I call her squishy because she's so squishy. I mean, she's just this adorable person. She was practically born full size. Are you hearing me? I mean, she is this big. I wanted to pick her up and throw her around. She looked like a little doll. I mean, it was just like, and I, she was a good Baptist girl. She got baptized in the Holy Spirit, praying in other tongues the morning of the first day of uh, where we're going to go out and do ministry. That day, she went to a Muslim school to share Jesus with a bunch of Muslim students, which she was terrified at the thought process, but she went there praying in tongues. She had just gotten filled with the Holy Spirit. She opened up her mouth, started sharing Jesus with everybody. A hundred Muslim students got saved. That's how many were in the school. And all the teachers wearing their hijabs and all the rest, they all gave their lives to Jesus Christ. They got filled with the Holy Spirit because she prayed for them. She had just gotten filled an hour and a half before. And guess what? In the evening, when I preached that first crusade meeting, the first people that she, because we have the, if you come with us on a trip, you, the first thing you'll do is you'll be in part of the crowd laying hands on people as we all call these sick people to come forward. She lays hands, she and her husband lay hands on a guy who's a blind mute. He can't see and he can't talk. The guy ends up on the stage telling everybody that Jesus opened up his eyes and enabled him to talk. He had been completely healed. And she's looking at me the rest of the trip, looking at her hands. This works. This is real. Why don't anybody know that this stuff happens? You know why? People are waiting for somebody else to give them the water and they're dry in their hearts because they don't gently have a gentle soaking rain on a regular basis in their life. Get filled with the Holy Spirit and let the gentle soaking rain soak you and saturate you every day because your heart is desperately thirsty every day. You need a gentle soaking rain. You need it. Amen? Three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. See, this gentle soaking rain cuts out the leech nature so that the word of God grows in you, kills off that hatred and resentment. Hell's not going to be satisfied. Think of Samson. The barren womb, think about people that always want blessings but never want to give. You're never going to be satisfied. You know, a gentle soaking rain, your heart's never going to be satisfied until it has that gentle soaking rain every day. And the final thing is fire. Everyone shout, fire! fire. <laughs> this is why, you know, we have a packing law in Colorado. <laughs> if I said fire, I would have had to duck. But hear this, all right? I'm talking about weapons. Hear this, all right? Fire never says enough. Final thing. Okay, we'll conclude our time together. And bittersweet will be our party. Hear this. Um, fire. Fire typifies the Holy Spirit. The fire of the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. Yeah? Yeah? Fire never says enough. Do you know the Holy Spirit wants more of you than you've yielded to him? He wants more of you. He wants all of you. You know what? There are three things that are necessary to have a fire. What are they? Talk to me. Oxygen. What else? Fuel. What else? Spark. Spark. So you need something to start the fire, you need something to burn, and you need oxygen to keep it going. Amen? Do you ever occur to you, 
Then on the day of Pentecost, they spilled out into the streets. They were praying in tongues, hitting the streets. You know, I don't even understand why I walk into churches that claim to believe and welcome the Holy Spirit. And people, I never hear people praying in tongues. People say, well, you know, you can't say anything out loud in any other language except that it's understood. Well, the Bible says that you don't can't pray in tongues unless it's interpreted. So that's why we don't pray in tongues out loud. Really? So that means that nobody who's a foreign language speaking person is welcome at your church? Is that what you're saying? Yes or no? Yes or no? Are my Greek relatives welcome here even if they don't speak English? Yes or no? Why? Because the minute they walk in, wouldn't you have to shut your church down? Because they don't speak English or Spanish. So if they walk in here and you're all talking to God, how are they going to understand what you're saying? You'd have to shut the church down right when they walked in, right? Yes or no? See, think about this. People tell you that the Bible says that you can't pray in tongues unless it's interpreted because if somebody walks in and hears you speaking something that they can't understand. You know what? That is a stupid, foolish, bad Bible interpretation, misunderstanding, and typically American thing to say. You know, most people in this world speak more than one language. I speak three, okay? Can, can I tell you something? Most people in the world, if you go to Africa, most of these Africans speak three or four languages. You go to Europe, most of them speak two or three. You go to many places, they speak a lot. In America, no, only speak one. You know what, can I tell you something? It's really cool when you learn languages. I think it's awesome when you learn other languages. You know, I'm dangerous in a whole bunch of other languages. <laughs> you know, I love speaking different things. I enjoy learning because I think it's cool to be able to speak people's language. I think it's cool if you can communicate, and I don't think I have to always require somebody to speak mine. I think it's kind of cool to learn theirs. I think it's cool when everybody learns across the way. I think it's awesome. I think it does nothing but help you. But hear me. In a monolingual, insistent group of people, it is easy to say, never speak anything in a church service. Well, think about that then. Then every church in America, the devil could shut down by just putting one foreign language speaking person in it, if that's what God means in the Bible. Do you honestly think that's what God is saying? Yes or no? You know what, guys? You have to understand, when you're talking to God, when you're praying, who are you talking to? When you sing worship songs, who are you singing to? So does that mean that when you're talking to God and singing to God, everybody needs to understand it? No. But if you're preaching, where is the preaching directed to? So if I'm speaking in a foreign language and I'm talking and preaching, don't you think I need to be understood? That's when I need an. Do you understand? That's what the Bible's talking about. It's all about direction of speech, right? So we eliminate the fire of the Spirit of God. Don't you understand? On the day of Pentecost, the reason why the flame of Pentecost kept burning is because God, guys, do you understand? He told 120 people in the, in the upper room on that day, and they spilled out of the streets, and basically it would be like whatever the major intersection is at Hayward. They stopped traffic in the major intersection of Hayward, all yelling in tongues. Personally, to me, that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, I would so be there, okay? But I'm just saying, that's what they did. Some people thought they were crazy. The rest of them realized God was saying something they wanted to find out, which, by the way, is the way people respond to everything spiritually. Either some people think it's nuts, other people think, what is God saying? Which is the way you should respond. God, what are you, are you saying something here? Is this something you're speaking to me? Listen to me. The oxygen is getting out of the world. That's witnessing, right? The fuel is us. Who's the spark? Jesus. I learned a long time ago that Jesus loves to play with matches. Oh, man, he's a major pyromaniac. He loves setting fires. 
He does. He's a pyro dude. He is a major pyro. He loves to set fires. He wants to set a fire in you. This fire of God, the spirit of the living God, when we're in church, God wants to keep just, he just wants to keep burning a fire that's amazing. Man, he wants to burn, burn, baby, burn. He wants that. But here's the problem. The only thing you and I are in control of, in a sense we're in control of two of the three things. He sets the fires. He strikes the matches. We're in control of whether or not we stay selfish or whether we go into the world with the fire he gives us. And we're in control of how much of the fuel is in the fire. You need to be completely immersed in that fire. You know, I didn't um, go home after lunch, after service, and turn on the TV show. That's not me. I spent time worshiping the Lord and praying. Now, other people nap. I'm too hyper to nap. <laughs> just, I sleep very little. Always have. Just weird that way. I don't get jet lag. I tend to sleep at the computer. Uh, when I travel, um, I'm just this hyper guy. And, you know, people laugh and they think, oh, no, but if you hang with me for a day, you're going to find out how true I am being. I'm very honest about myself. <laughs> um, and uh, people go on me on missions trips. I mean, like one of our young men that we have, you'd love all of them. His name's TJ. You'd love TJ. TJ is just this big workout guy and all the rest, and he's just, God used him so powerfully in Africa. I'm so proud of him. He's just grown so much. It's amazing. But TJ was looking at somebody who's just joined our group and wants to be in discipleship. He looked at her, and she said, he's not human. He's literally not human, talking about me. He goes, I don't, I've never seen him sleep. And I do sleep. I just don't sleep that much. All I know is, as long as I'm alive, and I don't know how much time I have. Every day could be my last. But can I tell you something? I, I say to Jesus, i like, Lord, I just want to just be burning. So I want it to be like a <laughs> flame out. I don't want to burn out. I want to flame out. Big difference, <laughs> right? Because what I'm going to leave behind is a hole full of fire. That's what I'm going to leave behind. That's my desire. I hope I'm wrong. 